This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Gear and C by Claire C. Marshall. Friendship, jealousy, and the guts to choose between them intertwine in this brand new adventure of the Silent Guardian series, A World of Robots and the Kids Who Love Them, created by GMB Kamichuk and Justin Curry. Available at fairyinkpress.com. <laughs> Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pope Science. This is Super Pope Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. And in this uh, particular episode, we're going to talk to Dan Vatabunker about post FanQuest blues. Blues? Yeah, I don't I, know. I don't have the blues. You don't? No. You don't have any, like... Actually, I would say for the first time... It's like postpartum with... with Giving birth to a show. Well, I certainly experienced that in the first two years of FanQuest oh. because, um, if I'm being completely honest, we did not make any money. In fact, we lost money on the right. first two shows. This one, I'm pretty sure we broke even. So I'm Ooh, happy with that. Congratulations. I'm very, yeah. very happy with that after three years to be completely even and ready to go for the next one. And it's a, it's a much better place. H- having learned everything we've learned in the last three years, it's g- set us up for success for the next show it's going to be even better than last time. And I think overall, people, and you guys can tell me about your experiences, but people who went had a great time. Um, overwhelmingly positive. There's a few hiccups, but that's going to happen in any show. And I think that uh, overall went well. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's interesting for us because it's, uh, you move know, that clo- it's, it's, closer it's you. really easy for us to balance our expectations for a show like that because it's a home city. There's no travel expense. There's no, like, you know, we don't have to, like, stay somewhere. So, and our studio is only a couple of blocks from where the show is being held. So, for us, it was just... At one point, I got Greg to wash my table and ran to the studio to get paper toll supplies so I could come back and make a paper toll at FanQuest. These are the kinds of things we can't do at at other shows. So, like, we... There felt. I know that you didn't design it to have like a benefit to us. No, but there were but no, we not felt, only you, but also Dan Hawksworth, who has a yeah. studio right across the street, just yeah. rolled his stuff on over and, and yeah. set up. So it was very easy for him as well. So yeah, there, yeah. This this area of town has quite a few artists and studios in it. So that was it was very easy for them to to come set up. So yeah, absolutely. Now you were talking about uh, possibly changing yeah what's funny is i said that to a few people as we're walking around i'm looking at the show i'm having a good time and i really did have a great time this this weekend for the first time in three years i had a great time without having to worry about a million things and i'll credit my team for helping me out with that because they did a great job and just kind of taking away all the you did have a great group of volunteers yeah they they really kind of did a great job just taking away all the little details they don't bug me with every single thing they just go ahead and solve the problem that's that's what i've empowered them to do and that's what they do um so that was very helpful, but I'm also looking at, at the whole thing going, how can we improve this? How can we make this better? And for you guys as well, and one thing I noticed, that I thought maybe, and I wasn't there the entire time, but it seemed very quiet in your end of the, in the, in the, compared to other parts of the con. I think it, yeah, it surged. Like we were, you know, for lack of a better way to describe it to the listener, there was kind of like, uh, there was like a J hook the way that the crowd could roll. And so we, we were, were at, at the, the end. end of that. Yeah. So if somebody didn't know or didn't see or didn't realize that it went all the way around, then yeah, they would maybe lost steam along the way or got interested in something and then off they went. But our general feeling about a small, a show with a small footprint like that is that people, 
placement isn't you were saying this yesterday placement's not that important but yeah at a show like this with the like that floor plan like everybody saw us everybody got to us at one point eventually we just weren't the part of the floor plan where people kind of um congregate yes oh See, yeah. I, so, I thought that that would be it because there is a bit of open space there. There is a little bit. I thought that would be a place where people would come. But you know where they did was in that main hallway atrium. Like, it's just a beautiful space. Like, the, it's a testament to the architecture of the of building. Yeah, of yeah, that yeah. building, yeah. right? Where that common space, which is normally the Red River Campus's common area there, under the skylights, of course, yeah. is But inviting, then right? the disadvantage there is if you have a table out there and you have a group of friends that are just hanging out in front of your table all the time somewhat shy consumers don't want to approach you right. or try to get in there to see your stuff. I'm still trying to get, learn a little bit more about that aspect of it, of the shy consumer, of the people who are not... Um, uh, for example, one of our guests this weekend, Jamie Young of Fantastic Creations, was there, and he said that over the course of the weekend, there was one man who kind of kept walking by and, and glancing nervously at the table and then kept walking, and he did it a number of times, and then finally, on Sunday, he came came up to them with his... Um, his creation, he'd created a foam oh. laser beak. Did you right. see that? No, he made, I didn't. he made laser beak from Transformers. That's like awesome. the, the thing. And but he was inspired to do it because Jamie had made one. And so he'd seen Jamie, he was a follower of his on YouTube and he'd seen him make this, so he followed his instructions and made his own. And he was but he was very nervous about approaching him. And so I just it didn't occur to me that people would be like that and in, in, in nervous about approaching artists that oh, they yeah. admire. Um, so I have to kind of think about that as well when I'm when I'm. We're kind of big deals, so are. don't <laughs> approach us unless you have something oh my important God, no, or good. To- don't listen to that. <laughs> uh, the thing that I mean, oh man, if you build up somebody in your head even a little bit, it can become a barrier right. where you don't know how to open the conversation, you don't know whatever, and if they're not instigating, right? If the person at the table isn't like, "Hello, welcome," this is what I do. You know, yeah. let's talk. Then there's no way in sometimes, yeah, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. Can, that can be really hard for an introvert. Like, yes, you know, yes, introvert life is a real thing. And it is, yeah. and it is again for me. I have to really because a lot of our audience are introverts, so many many people mm-hmm. are are in that uh, category. So I have to figure out how to try to, and I, I keep my my solution keeps my. I want to bring them on other shell, but maybe they don't want to br- be brought on. Yeah, other that's shell. that's I think the like, wrong headed thing is that we don't have to change an introvert. Yeah, right. Like we just have to make things job. easier for them. Justin and I inadvertently figured out a like in a an advantage that we had for introverts at the table is that we have this menu that we hand that r- requires no interaction from... Yeah, like, we have we have an opening line built in with our thumbnail sheets. As soon as somebody looks somewhat interested, like that guy who is kind of glancing as he walked by, mm-hmm. we have an easy accessible answer to that, which is, here's my thumbnail sheet. Would you like to take a look? Take your time. Because... From the other way around, we all like sometimes I don't feel like I want to be the one reaching out and I don't want to bug these people, right? Like somebody's walking by, am I being annoying by going yeah. like, hey, come look at my stuff, here's what I do? Like maybe they don't want yeah. that. So it that introversion goes both ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I've said before on the podcast, I'm a uh, introvert by nature, but an extrovert by training. And so I want to, I recognize that introverted behavior. And so being able to say, like, here's the book, here's the thing. And then not engage anymore. Like, don't even make eye contact. If they take it from you and they seem to, like, you know, pull in and they will just want to engage with that object, I, like, I just let them have their time. I like that when, yeah, yeah, somebody, 
they can kind of like, yeah, come to this quiet little moment with your menu and kind of yeah. not be overwhelmed by everything in the show. You don't, I want, you don't want to be the, the server at the restaurant saying, what are you going to have, huh? huh? And just hover yeah. over the well, yeah, and try to right. decide. Yeah. They always leave you alone to decide what you want. Exactly. To that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're leaving them yeah. alone to take it in on their own time, their own pace. It would almost be, it's, you know, like because convention life. Yes. Hello, guys. Justin. Has, <laughs> we, yeah. Here, we should say have, hello, guys. Um, so we have a new mascot at the, the studio. I am fostering a Greyhound Terrier mix named Jazz for the next two weeks. So we've had her for about three <laughs> weeks. And she is a very, very sweet two-year-old dog. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. she's a sweetie. Yeah, but she, she is, is currently in my lap now. She's just rotating between, yeah, me, Gregory, and, and Dan just getting pets. Now, you uh, you had a sandwich earlier. Clearly, she loves you for more than just a sandwich now because you don't have it anymore. It's true. It's gone. Okay. It, could be, uh, it could be my personality it that she be. loves. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say is that um, there's an etiquette. There's a social etiquette that is evolving at shows that people are starting to learn and understand, but not everybody knows to do it. And I think that one of the social etiquettes that it would almost be, you know how, for example, there's those big posters that say, you know, uh, cosplay is not consent. Right. Right? Because people had to be told that. Yeah. Right? Like you had to put it up in writing because someone who's come to a show and has never seen it, just because someone's in a costume does not give you the right to take their photo, does not give you the right to pose with them. You have to ask. Yes. Right? Um, but you don't know that if you come from the outside. You'd almost need a, a sign that says, you know, browsing is welcome. Right? Please take your time. No pressure. There's no pressure here, right? Like, you're not expected to buy something from every table that you visit. That's true. The vendor yes. does not expect you to buy something just because you're visiting, right? Your time is not an endorsement of that product, you know? Like, any, some kind of way to just let a casual person who comes in know that it's almost like a museum of nerd where you could buy it if you wanted. You could, you could yeah. Right? But it is a lot of the... I mean, one of the comments I got a lot uh, this weekend was so, so many people had great conversations with people. And that's part of what is great about a con is that you get to kind of gather with like-minded people and nerd out about your favorite movies or, or comics or, yep. or TV shows or whatever. So there, a lot of that was happening. Um, and I think that... That's a great idea, though. Having some sort of a, a guide to let people know that, hey, this is all fun. I mean, people are here to sell their stuff, and obviously they want to sell what yeah. they can, but you don't have to buy it. You can come yeah. and say, like, come up to you and say, wow, that's amazing work. You know, maybe they can How kind did of, you make that? How did, yeah, you talk know? about the process. Talk yeah. about what inspired you to, to do that piece. And then, yeah, so if they don't buy it this time, that's, that's fine. They might come by you next time and buy it. It's part of building that brand with you guys, for sure. Yeah. I've always kind of thought that we were a hybrid between, like, an art gallery and, like, a vendor. We're not yeah. we're kind of... Like, if all you can afford is to stand there and look at it, or maybe take a picture of it with your phone, like, if that is the mm -hmm. limit of your budget, then that is what you should do. And you shouldn't be ashamed that you didn't, you know, that you don't have $1,000 of disposable income to spend at every booth. Like, that's a ridiculous idea, right? Right. No, I would, I would have dropped so much money. I actually ended up, I did for the first time buy, buy from each of you, which I'd never done before at a con. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure I did that. And I also purchased Arkland finally hey. uh, oh. from Scotty Ford because yeah. I'm just itching to read that. But, um, uh, well, one out of three good things you bought, at least. <laughs> oh, no, I got your goodness. Day of the Triffids No, I know what I'm saying. Ar and, Ru the, and Rust and Water. But of the three, probably Arkland is the, is well, the, is the, is the good buy there. Anyway. Shout out to Scott Ford. Welcome to the machine. Leave the name. Leave the number. If you know 
what's good for you. I want to give a shout out to my committee member, Gary, who came up with the idea on Sunday of taking photos of every booth and of everybody's business card. Yeah, that was great. That's right. And he created yeah. an album on our Facebook page. For those who are at the con, we, we quite frequently have had people ask questions. Oh, there was somebody selling this, but I can't remember which one it was. So for people who like were at the con and were interested in the product, but maybe did not remember exactly which booth they were at when they saw something, this is to help them. First of all, it's a thank you to everybody who was there, but also to serve to remind people these are the people who are who are tabling at our con. If you're interested in any of their products, here's the contact information. So it's it kind of makes that connection post con, which I think is a brilliant idea. So great yeah. job, Gary, for doing I that. I would love Crystal. to see that at other Every shows. Show like there's so that. many shows that we can attend, and if somebody went around and did that, that you could see a clear shot of the booth set up in their business card. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I'd be happy to look through that. Yeah, it was really good. Um, some other lessons I learned uh, this year over last year because we were in the same venue two years in a row. Uh, a closed door is an obstacle that many people do not, do not want to overcome right. uh, because uh, we had our gaming area in the same part of the uh, campus. It was in the, uh, le the Learning Commons area, which is a big room. And we have Justin um, uh, of the Retro Detective. He's called and he sells a lot of retro video games and he was set up in there. And uh, he um, said it was much better this year because they propped a door open, which they're not supposed to do because mm. of fire hazards or whatever. Right. It's a fire door. But uh, they did it anyway, and they propped the door open, and that made it much more inviting for people to walk in as opposed to last year when we kept it closed. We put a sign on it that said gaming area, but people still see a closed door, and they think they can't go through it's there. True, yeah. So yeah. that was a great help as well. Yeah, public spaces is... Uh that's how people are in a public space. And, right? and uh, really, I mean, we also made the decision to limit the entry to one side of the atrium as opposed to two because um, we were told, one of the things is we were told we'd have to hire an extra security guard to, to watch that other door. But in fact, we'd actually already, already made the decision to close it just because it was too tough to manage both sides. So yeah. we made people walk around the building to the south side of the atrium. But what that led to was people coming in taking a, a right down guest alley and exploring that way, but not proceeding all the way through to you guys right. on the far side. And I thought you guys would be the draw. I thought, okay, here's the map. Show yeah. them the map. All the, there's a big thing of artists over on that other side. People are going to make their way over that. And, and not everybody did. It so takes it's a while really for people to figure, figure that stuff out. I also wanted to bring up a point, something I've noticed over years of doing conventions. When you get a floor plan through the, your email and you look at it, You'll, you'll think like, oh my God, I have a great spot or oh my God, I have a terrible spot. You're it's there. never accurate. Yeah. Once you're there, <laughs> you realize, oh my God, this is an amazing spot or oh my God, this yeah. is a terrible spot. But the floor, the overhead floor plan does not give you any sense of what it's going to be like Again, until you get there. the architecture of the space. That's why we don't release it on our website. We don't right. put a detail like where everybody is. First of all, it's a small enough venue that people yeah, can find everything. But even even still, it's like, yeah, plus things shift and change at the last minute. We were replacing. I made some mistakes with the floor plan, so we had to replace people because I didn't count enough spaces or something like that. So there were changes. So if anybody was were to publish a floor plan I released two weeks ago to vendors, that would not be accurate. Right. So we give you an overall sense of here are the big rooms, boom, boom, boom. Well, it's a different kind of scenario, too, because you guys are not – I mean – this, what I've been noticing about smaller shows uh, related to comics or fan stuff uh, is that they're run by people who are interested in giving a fan experience to the people who attend. They are not maximizing 
for how to fleece every dollar out of no, everyone. Not at all. Through, right? Not at all. And so there's a different feeling. Like when In fact, you go, I'm reluctant to charge anybody anything other than the entry fee. Like right. that's really what I, I don't want to charge them anything right. else. And so I feel bad about that. And I really do. Charging them the entry fee. I do. Because like, <laughs> they, they come in and like I'm, paying, I'm charging them money to come in and then buy things from you. But I'm, I'm trying to also give them... Like we have guests, we have panels, we have program. Yeah. The programming went over. We'll get to that in a second. They went over very well. But continue your thought. I apologize. Well, that's just that's the only thing I'm I'm making a point of is that a show that's run with the experience of the attendee as paramount is going to feel almost in some ways less organized because it's like here's a bunch of things. Please go pick something to attend and follow your interest. Whereas a show that is run like, say, The X or, hmm. right, like something that is designed to take you through the entire thing and engage with places that where your money is sticky uh-huh. all the way along. I, right? hear the, I hear the Galaxy's Edge Park is like that in the new Disneyland. Yeah, I'm Galaxy's sure. Edge. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, and it really bugs me. I mean, because my kids are of that age now where, hey, let's go to this theme park or, oh, let's go to yeah. this attraction or, oh, let's go to this aquarium when we're trying, you know, like those kinds of things. Yeah. And they're all like you come in and they take your photo and they arrange this thing. And then you don't get to see that to the end. Like at the end. And they want you to pay 20 bucks for the photo. They have a picture of your family. Right. That's right. A glossy photo. I've got one from the Vancouver Aquarium. I know exactly what you're talking about. And they're like, yeah, for $40, you can have this. And we can, you know, send you a digital file. I was like, well, no, I don't want it. And I also want to watch you destroy that photo of my family. Yeah. Right? Like, Uh please. Very good point. Because you didn't. You actually don't have consent to take my photo and turn it into a piece of merchandise, which right. you have done. Yeah, yeah, good point. Right? And they were, like, it was like blink, blink, because it's just like, <laughs> you know, 19-year-olds working, just doing their job. <laughs> and they were like, well, we do destroy them all at the end of the night. And I was like, so you have a system that gets rid of the old photos? And they are like, yeah. And they're like, okay, use it right now, please. <laughs> right? And they did. And it wasn't, like, I wasn't trying to be a jerk about it, but, right? What? Imagine if... I had done the same thing at my booth. Right. Right. Yes. I'm going to take a picture of your family. I'm going to print it out, and I'm going to try and sell it to you. And then I promise you, at the end of the night, I'll get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't buy it. Yeah, that's right. Like, makes me think of the cosplay is not consent. That's signs creepy. A yeah, exactly. Yeah. I took. Yeah. Makes me think of that one-hour photo movie with uh, Robin Williams. Robin oh, Williams. Man. Oh yeah. Right. Oh Ooh. man. I that was like back in blockbuster days. I'm pretty sure I rented that thinking it was going to be a Robin Williams comedy. <laughs> <laughs> You fire me and I'll make more noise than two skeletons making love in a tin coffin, brother. Some other positive experiences from the con. Everyone loved Mpo Kuaho, who was our um, kind of main media guest from uh, Dirt Gently and The Expanse and everything. He had some great stories, very energetic, funny guy. He did not, the first day, he barely sat at his table because he was just going around talking yeah. to everybody, uh, which is great. I'm, I'm okay with that. Again, like because we're this type of convention... Okay, I'll say this. In my experience working for other conventions, when a guest was not at their table, that was a bad thing because when they're not at their table, they're not signing autographs. Making money. And they're not making money. Uh, whereas we don't charge for autographs. We're not about yeah. that. So if he's not at his table, that's okay. And he floated around and met all the vendors. Yeah. And met all the people who were Which is good for you guys because you guys yeah. don't get to meet the guests yeah. when you're at a show, no, that right? That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he was super cool and, uh, and everyone loved him and his panels went really well. Um, he had some great talk, great stories about uh, Val Kilmer and uh, the Salton Sea. Have you seen the Salton I Sea? I like the Salton Sea. He's in the Salton Sea. He's in the Salton Sea. He's in that scene, and it's funny because it's a scene that sticks with me even after almost 20 years after I've seen that film. Come on. Um, he's the kid who sells him guns. 
So remember that when he's got yes. that big table full of guns, he's like, this, these are my guns. All, all sales are final. All prices are negotiable. Yeah. All guaranteed stolen, only traceable back to the original owners. He's got this monologue that he does. Yeah. So he does that. It's really good. And so in the scene, he's sitting at one end of the table with all the guns there, and then Val Kilmer's at the other end. Yes. He told us he did that scene in front of a green screen. No. Uh, to, Val Kilmer was not on set with him to, oh. to do that. Uh, that hurts he, my heart to know that. <laughs> he was said. He, the funny thing is that he said it. Meant he's more. He's more angry about it now than he was back then. Back then he was like 21 years old. Yeah, and he's didn't just care. like, yeah, I'm in a movie. Yeah, I'm in a movie with, and Val Kilmer's in the movie. But yeah. now he's like, come on, Val, couldn't you yeah. be at that that um, yeah. that scene? So anyway, um, so the stories like that were really good. Um, he uh, he tweeted out a, a greeting to our mayor of Winnipeg, mm. and our mayor responded uh, well, yesterday. Not just tweet, he, he recorded like a pretty heartfelt, like. Well, thanks for welcoming me back, Winnipeg video that I yeah. thought was like really genuine. No, just and a, nice. just yeah. a great guy overall. Um, as well, I already mentioned uh, Fantastic Creations. He had a great panel talking about how he creates all the things. Like he had this great nice. AT-AT model that mm. he made. Yes, and um, Vincent from Black and Vincent yeah. from Black Hole. And he talked about how um, you know he goes around now. He says he picks up. He's got his the best statement was you know everybody has one junk drawer. In their house, he's got one regular drawer. <laughs> All his other drawers are junk drawers because he'll pick up a piece of something. And he goes, oh, that might make a good button for this. And he'll just stick it in a drawer. Right. And then when he's going to make something, he rummages through it to look for the right parts. Right. Um, and what he talks about when he's making his models, and he's cre created a number of Star Wars ones like uh, Boba Fett's ship, Slave 2. He's done um, one of those gun turrets from the Death Star. Yeah. And he gets he made one that actually moves when it, it shoots right. and lights up. Nice. Um, and he does that by kind of eyeballing it and making it as, as accurate as he can. Yeah. But he said it's the exact same process those people went through when they made those originally for the movie, right? right. Kit, kit yeah. bashing, he called yeah. it. When they're breaking up model kits and they're like, okay, this looks like a good piece for the back of an X-Wing. Yeah. And they would like glue it all together. And that's exactly what he's yeah, doing when he creates Yeah, they took a whole bunch of like aircraft carrier model right. kits yeah. to build like the X-Wings and stuff. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so, so he does the same thing for his models. And we do that with our art, actually. We kit we bash a lot of stuff. Like we're yeah. like, oh, that shape would make a good monster. Oh, really? That thing. Yeah, we do Oh, cool. Yeah. If you want to tumble down a great rabbit hole on the internet as well, um, kit bashing of Gundam models, oh, like yeah. custom Gundam oh, model okay. builds, like there's already these epic robot models and then combining a whole whack of different ones. There's some, yeah, cool. truly great stuff in there. Yeah, so anyway, his, his, his uh, panel went really well. Your panel went really well, I thought. I mean, mm -hmm. the guys had a great conversation. Our panel about was great. Yeah, well, we, we kind of ignored the audience and just kind of asked each well, other that's, questions. That's a, great, that's a great way to do it, right? And the audience had some great questions. I think, I think they uh, were really interested. Well, and it, okay, so what we did for the dear listener uh, for our panel is rather than here's a bunch of stuff from on high, it's rare that Claire and Justin and I are all together in a room talking process. We're always, like, focused on this specific project and how to move that forward so we just said let's just have a conversation about how it worked in our individual pieces and then let the audience throw in questions to keep our uh, keep our conversation rolling which it was really fun yeah it went really well so again great great panel there um i'm trying to think of the other programming we had oh the youtuber panel that went really well that was um black magic craft and 8-bit music theory which were, were two guys locally here in winnipeg who create youtube videos they have hundreds of thousands of subscribers they make their living by posting on youtube which is That's not awesome. something not too many people can well i don't know that i mean not in winnipeg, certainly yes. certainly a lot of people in winnipeg don't think that this is possible and i'm sure there are more than just these two and i was talking to jeremy who does black magic craft his channel is about making models uh for role-playing games so if you need a like one of the, his, his more popular ones actually 
he told a funny story about how um, he he's he has a schedule that he sticks to, and he has his upload a video every Tuesday, every Friday, and there was like it was around holidays, around Christmas time, and he really didn't want to spend a lot of time on a on a video. So he decided to really just kind of do a half-hearted one. So he made this dollar store dragon model where he went to the dollar store, picked up some pieces and made a dragon. And he video, he recorded himself and put the video together really quickly. And it proved to be one of his most popular videos That's ever. always the case. Always, always the case. <laughs> so, uh, so he makes these models and he shows, it's a how-to kind of a channel. Um, but he told me, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I didn't even know this other person who does the, uh, it's more of an analysis and about music theory and how video games create their music. Um, he didn't even know he existed. He was doing this in Winnipeg. And he's like, right. there's no way to check on YouTube where YouTubers are local located. It's probably safer for YouTubers. Probably. And, yeah. uh, but, I, but I, as somebody who organizes shows and who wants to bring more of these people in, I would love to know that. Yeah. It was just through word of mouth and because friends of friends that we were able to find right. these two. Um, but yeah, great panel talking about how YouTube works, how the algorithm works, how they make money. It's not just from YouTube ad revenue. They both have Patreon um, uh, followings that they make most of their money. Actually, 8-Bit Music Theory said he makes most of his money from Patreon. But Black Magic Craft makes most of his money from Amazon because when he links to the supplies in, in the in the video, he gets a percentage of the sales oh. from that. So that's a really interesting thing to me. So yeah, when he uses a certain type of paint yeah. or a certain type of paintbrush, he links to all the supplies down there, and people buy, go on, they buy it. Now and I'd be curious, did he reach out to those suppliers to get that, or is that a function that YouTube sets up with Amazon? I think it must be to... between YouTube and Amazon, um, right. but he must have heard about that from other similar YouTubers That's who do similar things. He has a, he's, he's quite, um, he's got a good community of friends on YouTube, not obviously not from Winnipeg that are, um, that are like, you know, to help each other out with this kind of stuff. So that was a really good panel, really well attended. Overall, the programming was excellent. I was very, very happy. Doug with the Morrow's programming. panel was good Oh too. man, they I loved him. They man. loved him so much. <laughs> Doug Morrow made Taryn look like she had radioactive burns on her face. Super realistic. I had to look at her and go, what's wrong with you? Oh, yeah, that's right. You were just in a makeup panel. I heard her talking the day after, I guess, on her way home. She had to, like, get groceries or something. Yeah. <laughs> so she's just like, you know, uh, it was a complicated scenario where she doesn't want to say, like, people are trying to be respectful. And, she <laughs> and she's like, doesn't want to be like, oh, it's just makeup. Because then it's like, well, why, why would you? you? Yeah. I, I did that a similar thing when I was at HorrorCon a number of years ago. And I had uh, one of the guys, the zombie guys, put a, they put a big gash in my forehead. Right. And I had to go to the hotel and made, make an arrangements for somebody at a hotel for the after party or something. And I walk into the hotel lobby and everybody's looking at me going, oh, my God, are you OK? Because there was a big gash right. and blood dripping down my face. Um, but yeah, that was Doug Morrow had some great stories. He worked on Jumanji. He worked on the X Files. He's got great, and that's what we're on the Winnipeg classic, The Void. The Void, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and well, last year we had Stephen Kostansky in uh, with that uh, talking about it. he's the director of The Void. Um, but um, yeah, like so many people with great stories to tell. That's what we want to do. I have a nice story about Doug Morrow. Uh, he came by the booth, uh, and he, you know, I have a lot of classic monster posters and stuff like that that I do homages to those, and he was so genuinely excited by genre. Like once we started talking about, you know, you, I'll preface this by saying, sometimes you talk to people in the industry and it, who have been in it for a long time and it doesn't hold any magic. Right, because they've been doing it forever. Except in specific yeah. instances. Man, he was so excited to talk about monsters and like creatures and creature effects and like there was no, 
like, oh, well, yeah, I'm just here, kid, because they invited me down. You know, no, he, he was loved like, it. He said he wants to come back next year. Yeah, he was like, you have a day of the Tribbins poster? Oh, my God, <laughs> look at this Frankenstein, right? He bought a big Frankenstein poster. The light is still in his eyes. The light yeah. was still in his eyes. That's for great. all the things that fire me up, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's really, I really appreciated that about him. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a great guy. He said he did say he wants to come back next year. Um, I think one of the interesting things about his talk, like he told stories about on, being on sets, and he did, did have some, uh, on Jumanji, for example, part of his job was to create there's that part where the kid turns into the monkey, monkey yeah. so there's that halfway point where he's kind of looking like a, a monkey when he's still a boy so he helped do that makeup yeah. on him um and uh but he he said that um he has a number of mentors and i don't remember the names of all these and many of them are legends in the field of makeup and special effects but the best advice he got was not only to specialize in special effects makeup, but also to specialize to do regular makeup, like just everyday movie makeup where you're making the person look nice yeah. for the cameras. Um, because that's the bulk of what he does these days. Because he wants to stay in Winnipeg. He did not want not want to move to Toronto or maybe he did live in Toronto or Hollywood for a while. But um, he wants to stay in Winnipeg. And the productions that come through here are varied, but often not special effects related right. like we just so had a hallmark makeup movie company that can do any kind of yes makeup, so he does all kinds of makeup he was models. working on he yeah. told me um and he'd been working on it till seven in the morning that morning and he went home for a quick nap and then came to fan quest um but he'd been working on the new amazon tales from the loop yeah which is shooting here right now mm -hmm. so he's been working on that for the last little while and uh and he's not doing a ton of special effects makeup on that that's part of his job and but great advice and, and really interesting for anybody who wants to get into that it shows that yeah if you're from winnipeg you can work in in movies, you can do that. I kind of, eh, it's similar. I always recommend to artists who are trying to get into the industry, like young people starting out, graph design as kind of the foundation um, because it teaches you, it's a very, you can get graph design work pretty readily. There's a lot of it around yeah. for freelancing and stuff like that. And it teaches you so much on the road to illustration. And so it's that good base foundation to have. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like what you're saying. So yeah. he's doing like from monsters to models, right? Yeah. He can do the makeup for the yeah. whole spectrum. Yeah. If you're an illustrator or a graphic designer, it's good for you to have a base that's wide. Yeah, and there were a number right. of, of graphic designers at FanQuest this past weekend. Um, many, many form, my, my former students, so I teach, I teach the writing class in graphic design, which is everyone's least favorite class in that program. <laughs> um, but I got to learn how to write, damn it. Um, but uh, so many former students are tabling at FanQuest selling their original work. So they are working by day as graphic designers, but by night they're, they're doing much like you guys were doing with your side hustles. They're working towards that, making it their main hustle, right? right. So that is very, very common. Well, and, you, uh, you know, great, yeah. great, great artists all. You need practice, right? So if you, and that's the, that's the other side of it, is if you are um, doing basic layout in graphic design all day, every day, you'll get good at it. But if you want to do that other stuff and you're not practicing, why aren't you practicing? Right. Right. And just need small incremental improvements is all it takes. Is it to become a master at something? Is ten thousand hours? That's the number that gets bandied around a lot. But um, what does that translate into, like years? Ten thousand uh, hours. Let's assume that it's eight hours a day. Yeah. So I don't know. Whatever. I'm doing Dan the math. has got the calculator out. <laughs> 1,250 days divided by 365. That's about almost three and a half years. Three and a half oh, years. So, so if you were doing bad. it every day, all day for three and a half years, that sounds about right. But if you're only doing it for a couple hours in yeah, the evenings, yeah. right, that's it could take you a little bit longer. Yeah, but but anyway. it might take you 10 years, right? Right. It might take you 10 years of being a teacher, working on books a little at a time every year to put out something. 
which is what I did, right? To right. finally hit a place where you're confident that you can execute when asked in a wide variety of things. That's negative thinking. Think positive. I think we're positively crazy for even trying this. Do you guys have any uh, feedback for me from FanQuest? I wanted to ask as some, like a showrunner, for artists coming in, setting up their booths, and then doing the show and taking down, were there any, like, is there any feedback from you or any comments from you of what people could be doing better or... Um, yeah, because we yeah, don't get that we feedback don't, yes, from the shows We ever. don't ever get a chance I, I mean, to talk to somebody. I don't know if you guys heard me make the joke at the very end of the weekend where I said the person with the cleanest space in the league gets a prize. Like, that was my right. experience last year. Um, I wanted to do. I, I'm not going to name the artist, but I told you. I told you off off the air who right. it was. Uh, one artist. I have a photo of it from last year. Left the biggest mess. It's like a like a bear ripped through a campsite kind of. Thing, Almost right? something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. So I I was um, I uh, I wanted to make it like the, you know they have the dirtiest car in the lot thing they do at sports games. Yeah, right, <laughs> like, yeah. Here's the dirtiest car in the lot. You win a prize. You win a car right. wash. From blah blah blah. I want to do something like that, but I'm not going to shame anybody online. But, yeah, right. Not but certainly making sure your space is clean and as you found it. That's yeah. my biggest, even at garbage, like pick up the garbage. You know, I saw you throw a blueberry under a table at one point. Impossible. <laughs> that sounds like something you would it do. It does sound like And I, I would did have find an blueberry. empty blueberry container right there next oh, to a garbage wow. can. Oh. But I think it's because you didn't want to throw a recyclable container. That's right. Is it recyclable? That's okay. So here's my feedback. There was not <laughs> enough recyclable. There were quite a few recyclable. I, well, uh, I don't know. Okay. I'm not for a person they do, that can't leave his table. At, right? at the college, they do something weird. I don't know that they need to do it anymore because I'm not sure the process. But they have, under the table. They have oh, three geez. separate bins for paper recyclables, drink recyclables, and then other. But it all goes to the same container. It, it does end eventually, yeah. So I don't <laughs> think they need to do that anymore. But at one point, someone made that decision that because the paper one has just a slot in it that you just can put paper in. Right. <laughs> like, and, the, and the drink one has a hole in it for drink cups and stuff. But right. Overall, um, actually, every, everyone was very good about the way they were led. And I have to also give another shout-out to our friend Kyle Rogers' church group who came in and helped us with tear. They bought pizza for everybody. I was going to yeah. say, one thing I was going to say that I thought was so charming and wonderful is everyone's tear-down. It's the end of the weekend. You know, you've worked a long set of days. And then Usually you haven't eaten. Yeah, then... you've, or you've waited because you're like, oh, I'm going to go out and eat after or whatever. But you always leave it a little too long you're hungry. at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And then someone showed up with... Both meat lovers and like vegetarian options for pizzas. It was uh, yeah, that was uh, Kyle and his group, and they did a great. So they bought pizza. And originally, I think the pizza was going to be for the teardown crew, but they bought a lot of pizza, so they they brought it around to all the vendors as yeah. they were tearing down. And then they stayed and they tore down everything. They put all the tables back. Okay, so last year I was there till ten o'clock at night tearing down by myself because oh, uh, everyone took off. And I didn't want to be, I felt bad making everybody stay. So people right. were like, okay, I'm going to go now. I'm like, okay, bye. Right. And then, then I was there. And then I had to come back the next day and still continue doing it because I just made it like functional and I went back and finished it. Today we were done, or last, um, on Sunday we were done in an hour and a half. Everything back to because the way it was. many hands make like oh, work. Oh, so much, so much help. So those guys did a great job. I'm so grateful to them for helping us. Um, probably the best teardown I've ever had <laughs> experience of doing. Um, and yeah, like the, the artists were all overall very, very positive. Everyone uh, said, oh, we'll be back next year and, and letting us know that they had a great experience and see you later and everything like that. So yeah, great. Um, I'm going to send out a f- survey to all the uh, vendors and artists who took part just to see if I can get any feedback from them as far right. as 
what we can do better. I know that there were. I made some you mistakes in the floor plan. Did that last year as well, didn't you? The fan quest. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think do that every year. It's we the only it. survey I've ever filled out from a convention because they all send them out. But yeah, yeah. yours well, is the only you one actually. Out. Yeah. Like I, I'll give you one example as a small piece. Uh, some of the artists. So there's a Tim Hortons in the um, in the campus, right in that same room we guys are in. Last year we did not cover it up. Um, so you see the gate, but you can still see the, the signs on with right. all the food flashing across the screens. And that made a lot of vendors hungry, and they didn't like having to look at that. So <laughs> this year we covered it up. We, yeah. didn't, we didn't have any more food options, although we did have our, our Station 8 Cafe did sell sandwiches and stuff, I think. They did. Um, they totally did. I partook in that. And they came around. Another thing that happened. That was great. They came around every hour or two to take orders. Yes. I right. saw. I often saw someone delivering like... Right. Uh, cappuccinos and it was it's good coffee it's not yeah. like just regular it's like it's cappuccinos coffee, nice lattes so smart stuff. That yeah, kind of stuff. Just, and it's now you know a small show or even a big show they can't provide green room food access to everybody no but just something as simple as somebody coming to take your order especially and bring it to you. most tables can't leave their yeah. table to go get food. and they are hungry like there's yeah. a yeah. there's a hole in the in the capitalist system there that someone could fail pretty easily. I, I did reach out to a few few trucks. It was too late. They'd already been booked, but that's something we're looking at for next year, getting on top of that earlier and inviting more food trucks to come and set up outside the con so that people can go and have some food options. Right. I had a question I've just always kind of been curious about. Um, somebody who wants to come and sell food at a convention, what kind of um, like legalities and paperwork is involved with selling food at a... Well, I think anybody who sells food has to have a food handler certificate, which Station 8 does, because it is an actual cafe right. that operates, and so they just kind of transfer their services to FanQuest. Um, as far as... But the venue also will have rules as well, so right. depending on the venue. So for our venue, the only food operator in that building is Tim Hortons. They were closed, so we could do what we wanted, basically. Right. If they were open, if they chosen to be open during then that weekend... Then you can't compete with them? We can't compete specifically with them. We couldn't sell coffee or donuts or anything they sell. Right. Yeah. So right. we could sell burgers or hot dogs or something like that. Right. We couldn't sell the same kind of food. So that's okay. pretty much... That's a non-compete clause they have with yeah. the college. Okay. Um, the other thing that I noticed that it's happening in a lot of shows that I think uh, you would only be able to, I think, organize it at a small show, but... Those mystery packs that people sell. Oh, yeah. My, my son brought, bought a Star Wars one. Yeah. Of just random related stuff. I feel like a show like FanQuest could organize a mystery pack where like all of the people that are coming could put together a few items into a pack, sell it to FanQuest at cost, and then FanQuest sells those mystery packs. And make some money on right? it. Right. Yeah. But not only, but everyone makes some money, but also there's that component of, Oh wow! What is this? Where is this? Who is this? Right. Those people can then go find it and then get it signed. Yes. Right. It becomes a way that the the vendor has not lost money. They've been paid their production costs on that item. It becomes a um, uh, a promotion or like exposure that actually has value because yeah. if it's in here, they're here. They'll sign it for you or they'll talk to you about how they made it or whatever. Like it would add that that quest component. Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay, good um, idea. Icon does something similar, but you you give them stuff and it goes against your table. Like instead of they take True. whatever you you donate X amount and part of that comes off your table That expense. goes to their oh. volunteers. Yeah. yeah, they do a thing where if you donate books or art or whatever to their volunteers, right. like that they give back to their volunteers, then that dollar, the retail amount is yeah. uh, discounted from your table. Which I thought was a great idea. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. And so it's it's their way of like 
passing along to their volunteers. Yeah, volunteers often um, are, they, they want to be a part of the comic experience. They might not have a lot of money to participate. Yeah. So this gets them a chance to get some of the merchandise that would normally not be able to, uh, yeah. to buy at a con for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to create experiences for people, all those value added things add up to a positive nostalgia but not immediately. Like it's one of those things where, like a year later, you would be like, "Oh yeah, remember we went to that show and we got all those people's things." Like, there isn't like this direct monetary windfall for everybody involved, but it does have a. There's that long tail of the comedy. Yeah, think. yeah, I agree. Um, some other great moments. Um, there was a moment where Umpo, uh, there's a, a fan who'd come who was mute. He was not able to speak, but he is a huge fan of the Expanse. He was a huge fan of Dirk Gently. He wanted to come meet Umpo, and so once it kind of communicated like, like what he liked, Umpo then went and showed him on his phone all his behind-the-scenes shots from The Expanse and from Dirk Gently that he had on his phone, and he says he's never shown it to anybody. Right. He's got all his personal photos, and he was yeah. just talking about the experience and kind of had, sat down one-on-one with his fan. That was a great thing. That's exactly the kind of stuff we want to have. Right. Like these, just this connection with the the um, the the creator to the to the fan. Um, the Smash tournament was a great success. It was a Smash, haha. Um, uh, the uh, the gaming area was hopping on Saturday because of all the players in there for the Smash Brothers tournament. That's the winner, cool the win- so winner went home with five hundred bucks. Oh, like that's that's and I'm like I went I just checked in at the end of the day on Sunday. I'm like, who won? They're like, oh, the same guy who usually wins these things. I'm like, well, somebody's got to get better than him. Come on, yeah. somebody's got to challenge him. I heard there was yeah, it was some of the top players. We had about 50, 50 players, and yeah, these were the the top players in the province. Like we offered, um, so the way it usually works is you get a, everyone puts in their entry fee, and it's a prize pool. The organizers take out a, set, a certain amount for the venue cost, but we were providing the venue, so there was no cost. So we created the prize pool. We added a little bit of prize money on top of it to, to round it up to five hundred bucks for the top prize, and everyone else got the rest of the payout of the of the prize pool. But right. yeah, that winner got five hundred bucks, and that's we want to do that again next year. Playing Smash Brothers. It's playing yeah. Smash Brothers. Yeah, actually, playing is the wrong. For competing. competing. It's, well, it's an, it right. is a legit eSport. People yeah. do compete as yeah. eSports. So. That's why I it's made a big the one. distinction. Because I play Smash Brothers. I don't play very well. They do not play. I was, I was playing again, and our yeah. friends from Extra Life were there. They had um, they had a booth set up. They had a table uh, for a donation. You could also play whatever video game. So I was playing my son at Smash Brothers, and I'm just awful. I'm just <laughs> not, <laughs> terrible. I'm horrible at yeah. that game. Yeah. I'm not good at... Uh, I'm, I'm you know pretty good at like the fighters from our youth, like... Um, like Mortal Kombat and the Street Fighter games, I'm yeah. good at those, but not not Smash. It's too fast for me. It's just too much going on. <laughs> I don't get it. You have your multi levels, and there's like people throwing things. Anyway, anyone um, wants to uh, challenge me to a Samurai Showdown game? I oh, love that! Love that game. When those yeah. those it was the Namco. Yeah. Was it Namco? They had like, you could choose different games on the arcade yeah. system. So you get in there, you can choose Samurai Showdown or yeah. different ones. I love Samurai Showdown. The only difference between a hero and a villain is the amount of compensation they take for their services. At our pay scale, I'd say we're heroes. Our board game creators were running their own, like, personally made board games. Yeah, like, I thought like that was cool. I party. actually didn't know that that group existed. Yeah. And I found out that there's a, yeah, a group of people that make their own board games and then play test them every week. Yeah, and they, they, and they, want, they, they, they wanted to be there to introduce their games to people. Um, I mean, Surplus of Popes is probably one of the best-known locally-made yeah. games. Those guys did really well with that. But there's one called the Awkward Party Game, which was actually played by Beer and Board Games when they came for the first year of FanQuest. 
um, and a number of other ones, and they had a chance to, to show off some of their games and get people interested. We had um, uh, Game Night Games was kind of our gaming sponsor, so they mm -hmm. had a table. They had demos going on there. Yeah, overall, just a great uh, weekend and, and many, many great experiences for FanQuest. Hmm. So wisdom for next year? Um, be ample parking. Better, so a different venue with more parking. So more that's what we're that's what we're really looking at. Different and and possibly different dates. I'm still uh, I'm, I'm terrified of changing the dates, but summer is there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of okay. So this is what we had going on this weekend. In addition to FanQuest, we had the Red River X. We had the Beer Fest. We had Jazz Fest. We had oh, I don't remember. Somebody made a list of all the stuff going on. There was a lot going on in Winnipeg yeah. this weekend. We so had the nice weather. We had the nice weather. That's right. We yeah. had the beach. We had yeah. like just barbecuing yeah. in the backyard. So there's lots yeah. of stuff to do other than FanQuest. Yeah, that's So true. my instinct is to want to move it to the fall. Well, October is sort of open now. Well, is it though? <laughs> like, I don't know. What if like, I'm, I'm terrified of moving it to October and then finding out that something is going to happen in October. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah. maybe September. I don't know. I don't know yet. I'm ba we're bouncing it around, but there certainly is a different venue is, is in the mix and possibly newer date, like dates later in the year when there's not as much going on in the city. So as a, uh, as a parent, early September would be bad. I, I, I agree. Yeah, kids. I agree. There's so many expenses in early September. Yep. There's so many things happening. There's so many draws on your time. You'd want to go, but you probably would not be able to. Yeah, I agree. So, um, this has Any been other? super. This yeah, been, yeah. Wrap it up. I think you should wrap it up. This has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made and how cons get made. Yes, conventions. We can't use the word con because I was just listening to our other episode where San Diego Comic Con. That's right. Right. So convention. We're safe as long as we use the whole word. Okay. Always use the whole words and join the fight and make comics.